I'm Hugh James, Brand Ambassador and Climate Educator, and I'll be your host for these Material Facts Special Edition episodes. In this episode, we embark on a journey through the fascinating realm of outdoor jackets and apparel, exploring their composition, the industry's progress over the past 40 years, factors influencing gear production, the challenges of sustainability, the use of recycled materials, and the future of apparel design. We unravel the mysteries behind the materials, innovations, and complexities of the outdoor gear industry, shedding light on the path towards more sustainable and functional gear for outdoor enthusiasts worldwide. So let's dive in. Today we've got Tim Fish, who's an award-winning product designer and product director at Equip Outdoor. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Cool. Thanks very much, Hugh. Good to meet you. So let's start with something super simple. Uh, something you spent a lot of your, your life working on. Um, what is an outdoor jacket? Was it made from? Oh, there's so many different types of outdoor jackets. I'm going to give you a bit of a fun <laughs> Just an easy start. All the different ones. Um, it's like you, you kind of always need to split it down into what they're for. So you have some jackets that keep you dry, waterproof jackets. You have some jackets that make uh, will keep you warm, and they can keep you warm different ways. And then you have some jackets that are just windproof, not waterproof and not warm, but they protect you in other ways. So if you kind of cycle back to waterproof jackets, invariably they're a woven outer with a membrane and then some form of backer on that membrane to protect the to protect that membrane. And that membrane is the bit that keeps you keeps you dry. So they're dry and breathable. If you then move into things that keep you warm, so we use down insulation a lot, it's got natural material. It's really, really light, really warm for its weight. And you encapsulate that within generally a very, very lightweight woven outer. So you can see there's kind of lots of different factors that come in to build up different jackets here. Um, and we then also have, or out, outdoor jackets are also keep you warm through a synthetic technology. So quite often mimicking down, and that is often... Um, polyester fibers in lots of different configurations to trap warm air again captured and encapsulated in between lightweight woven um, material you then move on to some fleece everyone knows what a good fleece is and they'll be knitted again for polyester or nylon so there's not kind of one answer to that question there's lots of different methods and lots of different constructions um to fulfill the end need of that outdoor jacket and that's just the base material that's not including all the other bits that go in there to stick it together glue it together sew it together make it waterproof so a, a very open-ended question Hugh but I suppose that that's that as complicated that is for jackets you also design things like sleeping bags and backpacks and sleeping mats and things like that you just kind of expand on that complexity and multiply it by how many products you have. Completely, yeah. And I think um, once you start getting into equipment, the number of different components and elements that go into a product, you just add zeros on. So we have a, we keep a list of what goes into a, a product on something called a BOM, to BOM, to Bill of Materials. So it's a list of everything that's in there and how much of it is in there. Um, and if you look at the Bill of Materials on a, a pack, to say like a trekking pack, you're probably you're into hundreds, hundreds of different things wow. that go into a pack. Um, whereas a sleeping bag will basically have four or five bits. There's just there's a lot more of those four or five bits rather than lots and lots of little bits. 
um, uh, packs like that. Sleep mat, again, completely different. You're kind of dealing with different different polymers that get, need to be uh, put together to achieve something that's airtight and keep you warm and dry and deflate and still be something that's going to stand up to being exposed to the sun and cold. So, um, yeah, lots, yeah, packs are very, very different to apparel. Sleeping bags are different again. Waterproof jackets are a totally different level from a really simple fleece. So it, it's complicated. That's the main thing. Um, and we have special... It's, it's, that's the, that's the theme we're going with. That's the theme. <laughs> it is complicated. It is not straightforward and easy. So... But it is something that you've been spending your time making sure that that you have. Like if you have those uh, bill of materials, then as a as a designer and as a company, you know what goes into making something. And I suppose you know the th- the actual theme of this is material facts and knowing what we know about the the stuff that we make. So if you've got all those, then it becomes. Well, you've got an onus, I suppose, then to pass that on to the consumer and say, well, look, this is all the stuff that is in your product, um, not like itemized by everyone. But how difficult does it become then to say, OK, here's all the products that we have, which might run into the hundreds. Let's condense this down and make it easy to understand for the consumer. Yeah, I think you kind of touched, you mentioned material facts and the kind of main thing we're talking about here. Material facts was, it's done a number of things I think, for me, one of the biggest things it's done is deliver transparency and honesty through to an end customer. So there's one of the things we we wanted to do with it. We just make it really, really clear that we're not putting, I'm going to say, a metaphorical green stamp on a product going, this is the eco one, this is the green one, because different people's parameters to reach that green stamp are different. So some people might say it's 50. If you're over 50%, it gets a green flag. We really strongly felt that that wasn't good enough. Um, so we wanted to make sure that what we were communi- what, what we are communicating to the end customer is really clear and that the end customer can make their own decision based on the facts that are kind of transparent, honest and open, and not always 100% positive. So it's kind of like we, if it's not brilliant, we will say this is not the best one for this but it might be brilliant for something else for these reasons um so it's very much kind of about honesty openness and transparency the other thing it did do is really made us look at our own product and we mentioned the bill of materials and hands up we we know what's in the jacket we know what's in the sleeping bag we know what's in the pack until you go through it with a fine tooth comb and a scalpel and you weigh every element and then you go, oh, actually, there's more of that than we thought or we don't know enough about this one or let's go and investigate this a bit more. And we kind of, kind of you really fine tune into what's in there at a, at a far, far deeper level than just going, let's use 420D nylon and some 200D poly and we'll put some of this in and I know we've got 180 grams of that. That's great. That's what you need to get kind of a cost and a product through over the line into production to deliver it. Um, what Material Facts has done is we've cycled back around into our design development process and really, really drilled into what's in the jacket um, at a far deeper level than we ever had before, even down to the weight and the percentage of weight between 
different elements of of a component. So a good example is um, you know bungee cord that you get. So you get bungee cords around the kind of the hem of a jacket. You get them around the hood if you want to tighten your hood in to keep the weather out and seal that on. Um, often bungee cord is just delivered as a component. And we know that the middle part is elastane, the stretchy part. The outside is a, a woven polyester. So we actually, we've, we've pulled it apart and weighed the two elements and moved the outer part to recycle polyester. So rather than using virgin polyester on the outer, we can't make the inside elastane recycled because you, that doesn't exist yet. Um, so we, we, we drilled into things at a much, much deeper level than we ever had. So it's kind of, it's taught us a lot of where to put our energy and focus more than we thought it would. We thought it was going to be quite a simple, right, let's do this. Let's just kind of, let's just give the information to other people. And then you drill into it. And you kind of realise that oh, actually this was a much much bigger task than we thought. So it it took us over a year or two to do it, rather than a quick let's just run through this and kind of give people the information. It, it was good actually. It was a really good education for us to learn to the nth degree what is inside our products. And do you think that that's something that you know we're pushing towards now, knowing more about what's in our our products. The consumer wants to know. The it turns out that it's a positive for the brand as well as to to find out. Oh, where where exactly are we getting this from? What exactly is it? What's the makeup of it? Um, how has that changed in the last kind of forty years or so? How have the way that we put products together, um, or has it changed at all? Has it changed enough? Mm, there's kind of two questions there. One's sort of. What's the progression of outdoor apparel and equipment been? And I think the other, the first half of your question, Hugh, was more about um, society, changes in society and awareness in society. So kind of how have things moved on in the last 40 years? There's been a massive amount of innovation, radical thinking, development. Things are lighter. They keep you warmer. They keep you drier. They allow you to perform at a high level. They're not all massively overbuilt and burly for the kind of the, the most extreme conditions. You, you can have warmth and lightweight and waterproof in a way that you couldn't do 10, 20, 30 years ago. And that, a lot of that's through material innovation, um, polymer innovation. Um, I think being how people use things changed as well. I think people know that actually... I could spend £100 on this pack and it's going to do exactly what I need. I don't need to spend £300 and it won't last forever because I don't need to carry 30 kilos. I can go out and have a really good week out with 12 kilos. So therefore, that, that influences what designers and developers are doing. Um, the other part of your question about kind of do people want to know more and how do people want to know more, I think there's the whole of society consumes more data and information than ever before. Therefore, everybody wants to know everything. Um, and I think that's where the risk of, I'm going to say kind of the risk of greenwashing comes in by people going, yeah, this one, this one's the eco choice. You go, well, is it really? Is it like, do we really know that? Okay, the main fabric has a recycled face, but the membrane that's in there, does that use fluorocarbons? And the non-recycled nylon backer on that three-layer fabric, that's kind of that all those parts aren't actually that good when they're added up together. But that type of product historically would have had a 
an eco tick because it's got a, a, C, a PFC free DWR on it and the main fabric, the main outer fabric is recycled. But people probably don't drill enough in and make an assumption that because it's got that green flag, it must be the okay. It's great. Like I think I think that, that that duality of of where we've seen those gains in materials and uh largely like almost all those materials are in uh are a plastic of some sort. Like that's where we've seen the you know big gains in in product design for jackets and and, and outdoor wear. Um the down that we that we take in is probably the same. <laughs> You'd be able to tell me better, but probably the same as it was 40 years ago. So those gains have kind of like come at the expense of, I suppose, how circular we want to be or how much we want to see those products come back in and, and reused. So the, the term of sustainable when it comes to the outdoor industry is a really difficult one because how difficult is it just to make a piece of apparel, whether that's a jacket or something difficult, that's actually truly sustainable? How difficult is that? Very, 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 very yeah. difficult. Um, we do everything we can within our power to reduce our impact. Um, you touched on Down's a great example. Down's kind of almost infinitely recyclable. Recyclable. It, it lasts. Um, slight aside, little story. So I work for Rab. I've, my first interaction with RAB was as a student in 1994 when I cycled over to RAB's factory shop with a really old sleeping bag, some like kind of smelly old down in it, and I asked RAB to recycle it and put that down into a RAB, into a RAB outer shell, and he washed it. I still use that bag now, and that down's fine. It's been washed. It's great. And it already, so that's, I'm on its kind of second life. And actually, if it got washed and reshelled, it would carry on going again. It's incredible. Down's amazing. Um, so you, you can rejuvenate it, you can wash it. And we use a lot of recycled down in a lot of our apparel now for that reason. And we collect it, we send it back to the, the people that process down for us. Um, and, and by using recycled down, we're reducing our impact a lot. We're talking about sustain how how difficult it is to make a sustainable outdoor jacket, and I suppose if you have the, those virgin materials or even recycled materials, it can become a little bit easier. But I suppose the other constituents of that that's not down is difficult then to process and make back into something different. Yeah, and I think we where we can we will use recycled material. So we use a lot of recycled polyester. We use less recycled nylon. Um, that's because recycled nylon yarn at a level and performance that we that we can use is hard to get. There's not that much recycled nylon. It's more carbon intensive to get it. It's harder to recycle. It's, it's simpler to recycle polyester. Um, and then the other thing, the other question we often discuss a lot here is, is it better to make something in kind of virgin nylon yarn that's going to last a long, long time? And actually you're reducing that product's impact on the environment by making something that can be repaired, reused, washed, repurposed. Or is it better to go use something that's recycled and then know that we can recycle it? What's the carbon intensity of that versus something that's virgin and lasts 10 times as long? Um, so the bit we're touching on then is product end of life. And that 
I think once I'm going to say the outdoor and the wider apparel industry, and I'm including fashion in that, has worked out what the end of life solution is to products. I think that's when we start moving to a to a kind of a whole a circular uh, a circular industry. We're not there yet. We we don't know. So I think there's probably again there's a lot of hype about it, a lot of talk about it. Everyone's trying. Everyone wants to, but. We and the wider industry, not just Rabin and Equip and Low Alpine, don't know how to close that loop. And it's a, so we know how to recycle polyester. We know how to get recycled polyester. What nobody knows is how to get recycled polyester garment back from an end consumer into the hands of someone that can then take it to this processor who then knows which type of recycled polyester and which yarn and which polymer it needs to go to to treat it with whatever... Um, whatever process it needs it to take it back in to be rechipped to then create fresh yarn to go back into loop to make another jacket. So closing that loop, don't know. And, and it is a society issue. It's not, it's not pure an outdoor brand using virgin polyester versus virgin nylon. It's a, a much, much bigger thing. So comes back to our theme of it's complicated uh, to do this kind of thing. Really, and it's probably worth really pointing out that, you know, I love the, um, the old adverts reduce, reuse, recycle. Like I've I've loved those adverts for a long time, and the songs that go with them and everything. But they were put in that order for a reason, right? Like we've, uh, especially in the UK, but across the world, concentrated on that bottom one, that last one, recycle. I think way too much. Like the first thing should be to reduce what you have, and then you mm-hmm. reuse the products that that are within it, and then you recycle. And I think Rab are doing a good job at that. It's saying. Look, if we if you can reduce the amount of clothes that you buy, or the, the amount of times you need to buy a new microlite or whatever, mm. um, then we can also reuse the stuff that's in it. So that down, you can bring it back in, like you did with your sleeping bag, bring it back in, and that's helpful. That you reuse those materials, and then mm. at the end of life, then and I think people get hang up on this quite a lot, like the differences between reusing and recycling. I suppose what you did with your sleeping bag was actually reused the down that you had rather than bringing it in and i think you'll be able to tell me if i'm wrong recycling just a a good way of thinking about it is taking that material back to its base raw material the little noodles you talked about the little plastic chips that you get then you can change it into anything Mm. so doing that i've always thought of it, it being a closed loop that circular economy that you talked about maybe a sustainable jacket is an open loop that just goes forward that you you wash and you treat and you reshell or you know you keep going and it keeps going forward in time rather than circularly uh, mm. in time so the but you get into then like how long would it last should it be rid of recycled materials we see on i see on adverts all the time of like we've made this clothing out of recycled bottles and things you talked about that conversation like is a jacket or is any kind of apparel as good if it's made from recycled materials as if it's made from virgin materials that you've processed just once to if you've processed many times? Is there like a any hard kind of facts and stats on that? Because I just thought in my head for a while, but... Not that I know of. I don't know. It's so hard to work out carbon impact of things. And the same jacket used by... Let, let's say we've got a virgin nylon waterproof breathable jacket being used by a guide in the alps 
will last a season. Being used by someone that goes hill walking in the Lake District will last 20 or 30 years. So it's like, what what is the expected lifespan of a jacket? It depends on the end use. Um, it, I don't, we don't know, and I don't think anyone really knows which has a which has a lower impact. The question is in like, what are we trying to manage here? Is it the carbon of it, or is it the material use of it? And that you go back far enough, they do overlap because four percent of all plastics. Uh, 4% of all fossil fuels taken out of the ground go to make plastic. So at some point, those two things do connect, the plastic problem and the carbon problem. But right now, they are quite separate. The, the, the things that we're trying to accomplish exist in two different places. Sometimes we can accomplish them both, but it seems within the outdoor industry, we're trying to tackle, okay, virgin materials versus carbon miles and, and things like that. So... Mm. It's complicated. I, they're really <laughs> I reckon they're, they're, they're really intrinsically linked, though. Because you, you look at the, the, if you truly calculate the carbon impact of a jacket, you need to incorporate so many things. And it's, it is so difficult. It's like, how full was the ship that sailed it from Asia to Europe? How many designers drove to work to make that jacket? Um, how was the factory powered in the, in the factory it was made in was it solar powered or was it kind of coal powered it's such a wide topic it's um and you can go so so deep into it so what are the, some of the advantages you know if we do choose that that method of putting more recycled materials into our uh, outdoor apparel where we know that the the technical and performance aspect of that in the outdoor industry has to come first like i know so many people that uh, and brands talk about I know rather the same that performance has to come first before we think of anything else because this isn't a piece of gear that we're wearing down the shops a lot of the time it's someone we're wearing into the into the high alpine so but what are some of the positives and what are some of the negatives to using that recycled materials that you will see on the materials facts list it, it might come up this this percent uh, is being recycled what are some of the positives what are some of the negatives of it couple of answers that i think one of the things we do here is we we look at the end use what someone going to go and buy that jacket for and that will help us um choose and select how to make it so we have some styles that are very very high performance very very lightweight and if you look on our materials facts list they would score quite low they, they have quite a quite a low score but we but we know that to get that level of performance and that weight and that kind of end use specific style to do all those things in a recycled plastic and a recycled fabric, we can't do it yet, but we're not going to compromise on that performance. So, but what we will do is say to someone, it's like, if you want this level of performance, we're at 30% recycled. However, let's be honest, if you don't need that level of performance, and you're going for a walk in the rain, or you're going cragging in the Peak District, it might rain. A, a recycled polyester face waterproof jacket is perfectly adequate, and that scores 97%. So it is as recycled and as recyclable as we can make it. And it's probably okay for the end use. So it's kind of two very different jackets. One's extreme lightweight virgin nylon, because that's the only way we can get to that level of performance. And we're really clear that this is for super hard, 
extreme alpinism or whatever it is. Um, but they were really clear that the, the alternative to that is here's the recycled one. Performance is at this level. It's perfectly adequate for doing this in. So if you really want to go and choose something that has a, um, a reduced impact, a lower impact, this one's okay. And I think that's where material fact is great. So you can actually see kind of um, and what we did with material fact is we went into every detail. So we've broken down each element of a jacket and it's all by weight. So obviously we had to, we had to choose a weight because the, the consumption, so the amount of fabric that's used in a size small compared to a size extra large is significant. So therefore we've gone, we've taken a, a men's medium as an average size, weighed every element, and then it's percentage of recycled content by weight rather than by consumption. So it kind of, it gets, there's some pretty complicated maths behind it. But by doing that, breaking down every element, we're, we're putting it in front of a customer who's going to make that purchasing decision that um, the face fabric um, of this three-layer waterproof breathable is recycled polyester. The membrane, the bit that keeps you warm and dry and breathable in the middle, is recycled polyester. And the backer on it, which protects that membrane, is recycled polyester knit. Um, but it's only 97% recycled because the glue that sticks it together is polyurethane. So in our <laughs> eyes, it's not 100% recycled. It's 97% recycled. Um, the bit we haven't moved on to yet, which we're looking at, is because that's on the whole... It's a monopolymer fabric. It will be easier to recycle that in the future. How that's done, we don't know. We know we know a place that can do it. How we get a consumer to get that jacket back to them to do it, um, and then equally, how does that factory then take out that three percent of polyurethane adhesive? So, but with yeah. material facts, that's where we now know that because we've dissected it and looked at it, and that's the same on all bits. It's kind of down to. The plastic components, we've looked at the, if you look at the image zip pulls, you open your jacket with and pockets, they have a little injection molded plastic end and a bit of cord. Um, that cord's now gone recycled, but the plastic bit at the end isn't yet. So it's kind of, so actually it's 60% not recycled by weight of that zip pull. But that highlights to us that's a bit we need to focus on and look at in more detail. So it seems like one of the one of the big pros of um, of this is of recycling materials to put into outdoor way is that we are taking plastic that might have ended up in landfill or go somewhere else and we're putting it into um, into our, our products. Um, but you said one of the the downsides we can't it the it'll be less in products that are highly technical. What is from like a geeky point of view? Um, and let's get a bit geeky for a sec. What is, why is it not as, is it not as durable? Is it not as waterproof? Is it, is recycled materials okay for the crag, but not for the high alpine? Why is that? That's a good question. And it's kind of <laughs> two answers to both. One, the, right. a lot of that's to do with the difference between nylon and polyester. Nylon, uh, has higher abrasion resistance. Polyester generally has a lower abrasion resistance. Um, weirdly polyester takes colour better than nylon so actually if you if you want a jacket that looks great polyester one often looks better it's got a nicer hand nicer feel nicer luster to it, it the saturation of colour is better um, nylon on the whole performs better than polyester in a high abrasion um, environment for its weight 
So if it's really, really, so imagine you've got a 7D nylon fabric. I mean, 7D is bonkers lightweight, like super light. Um, so we have a 7D nylon uh, down jacket. It weighs nothing. It is uber warm. We couldn't do that in polyester because A, you can't get polyester okay. that's going to perform at that the abrasion level that we need. Um, we've not done it in recycled nylon yet because there's not very much nylon made at that at that yarn weight. So you almost can't get it. Ironically, 12 months in, we have now found it and we will update that jacket. So we will now change that to recycled nylon. Um, the, the equivalent is that where we can use recycled nylon, we will. So we have some mountaineering waterproof shell jackets that we're moving to recycled nylon. Um, but then we have hill walking jackets that are polyester because you're not going you're not gonna be trashing them in some godforsaken gully on Ben McColden snowy and scratching around <laughs> with an axe and putting crampons through your leg wear. Um, so um, so much to do with end use and polyesters aren't as abrasion resistant nylons are but it's much easier and more affordable to get recycled polyester i think something else to highlight here hugh is that we would love to make as many things as possible recycled and reduce our impact we're also aware that society often won't pay more there's a weird kind of dichotomy of business and society versus desire of society where we could double all our prices or add 50% to all our prices and make everything recycled. But there will be no outdoor apparel industry and no one would be buying or consuming apparel and clothing and fashion in the way that they do because of the prices. And so it's a hard one. It's, it's a tricky thing to answer and, and to tread a fine line between the two. And I suppose that when you are recycling things as opposed to, and when you're reusing things as well, that reduce always comes at the top. So, I mean, that's what we're aiming for, right? Is to reduce the consumption that the planet has because we've got finite materials to, to use. But then in that reuse and recycle sections, we're going to have to do that with stuff that's already out there. So mm. if you, as Rab and the outdoor industry and then the apparel industry as a, as a whole, starts reusing and recycling more, well, I imagine there's only a certain amount of materials that are out there to start doing that with. Yeah, we, we were looking at this. We were we spent some time recently with a. It's a it's a research it's a, it's a commercial enterprise. It was kind of a research institute looking at uh, recycling polyester. We're we're actively searching for an end of life solution to our products, um, right. and we went went to one place in Holland. We chatted to them a few times, and um, it's part funded by a. A very very large soft drinks company um, who have the aim of closing the loop of the PET that's used in clear bottles. So th their process um, allows the the PET to remain clear. So they've almost got an infinite loop of clear plastic bottles. So if they close that's interesting because that it's worth worth pointing out that that when you recycle or downcycle products uh, a lot of the time you're changing it from this one thing, and quite often it's downcycling to be something that's not quite as good. And there's only a certain amount of times you can recycle something mm. before it becomes like not quite as good. But you're almost never changing a soft drink bottle for a soft drink bottle. It's almost always that you change it for something completely different, right? Which is part of the recycling process that normally people 
know about because we don't talk about it that much. Exactly. It kind of goes down a level. So, for instance, if we put one of our jackets into their plant, the, the said, the aforementioned soft drinks company, their clear bottle would only be 80% clear. It would go white and translucent because right. the polymer that we would put in from a jacket isn't as pure as the polymer from a bottle. So that's where their process is, is, is good, actually. But um, the big question is, like, where, where in the future, and even now to a certain extent, and nylon's a good case of this, where do we get recycled polymer in at the start of the chain? If everyone is trying to close a loop, there comes a point where there's no, there's no kind of feed-in right upstream from it. So. I suppose that's a really good place for us to be that's the, we want to be and then we'll solve the next problem when when we come to it and people like you who are you know just big thinkers in in the world of product design and want to be thinking about other materials that we can make things from you know we're making things then from mushrooms or we're looking at algae or seaweed yep. and making plastics from that kind of stuff i suppose then once we've closed our loop and we've started to bring back into um back at it back into all the materials that we have being plastics we can then think about putting stuff out into the world that's not going to hang around in the, the ecosystem forever yep and, we, and we've looked at it quite a bit and i think we're we're investigating it it's not as clear-cut i think that there's a lot of and this comes back to that greenwashing thing and loads of people say like this is biodegradable and actually if you really dig into it it is biodegradable if it's in a certain ph of water at a certain temperature for 28 years <laughs> it's like that's, that's a plastic bag that's not going to go away for a long long time so that's where yeah. actually we we use recycled poly bags and we collect them and we then we send them back to someone to repurpose repurpose them rather than kind of pushing the problem downstream in oh, just put it in the bin and it'll it'll rot away in landfill at some point so um it it, it Coming back to that, thank you. It is so complicated. It is so, there's so much to it. And once you go down one avenue, you find something out. You go, ah, oh, didn't know that. And let's go and look at this bit. And that's the, the wonderful thing about engineering and science that, you know, very rarely, 100 years ago, people didn't look towards the future and say, some futurists did. George Orwell's really good at that kind of stuff. But like 100 years in the future, mm. what are we going to do? Like... I'm really excited for, for new battery technologies. People keep asking me about like electric cars and stuff. And I'm like, I just think there'll be, a there'll be something that we haven't seen, new kind of battery technology in solar energy. We're seeing gains now above 20% to like 40%. It's like we're making, it's the thing about making marginal gains over the course of a, a long period. And then something will shift, something will change and we'll have a new product. We'll have a new type of technology. So where, where do you reckon, I'm going to ask you to put your futurist hat on now, like outdoor apparel going forward the next kind of 50 years, go on. And I just, you mentioned the word marginal gains there, Hugh. And um, when we launched our Winter 23 collection, that was one of the terms I used a lot. And that, that right. kind of marginal gains, that marginal gains approach is something that we kind of instilled in the team here. It's like, look, if we look at every single bit that is on a jacket, Every single bit, all of those little bits add up, and it's very much a Dave Brailsford approach from Team Sky. So it's kind of there. He was like, "All these little bits will make the the whole better." So that's where we we use materials, material facts to really kind of drive that. And we looked at everything. So 
if you think, you know, when you buy a jacket on the back neck, there's a little woven label, mm. kind of the size label, tells you brand, where it's made, that kind of thing. So we looked at that, how do we reduce the impact of that? And across the business, I, well, no, I do know how many of those we use. I'm not going to say it because it's millions. We reduced that by 25% and changed that yarn to, to recycle polyester. And then we actually calculated the carbon saving of doing that across a year's worth of production. All those little bed bits add up. And the same with the, the cord on the zip pulls. Did the same with that. Um, zip tape. So injection molded zip teeth are not recycled, but the woven tape that they get molded onto is. So we actually split the difference between the two. Um, the same with uh, care labels, kind of wash labels you get inside a pocket on a jacket. Reduce the size of those, change those to recycled. So all those little bits add up. Um, and the micro light you mentioned earlier, I know that for winter 23, we, we applied that kind of marginal gains philosophy to that, and it made a 3% difference to the whole garment's recycled percentage. So just those little bits made a, a 3 we kind of it was three percent more recycled than it used to be, and already had a recycled liner, recycled down, and a recycled outer. So all the main fabrics and the insulation are recycled, but just looking at those little bits added up to an additional three percent, um, and the carbon reduction, the greenhouse gas reduction, that was significant. So you think going forward, we're not waiting for like some new magic silver bullet in terms of fabric or in terms of uh, a way that we can start to recycle or reuse products. It's like we need to make as many marginal gains as we can over a long period of time and continually strive for progress, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's kind of like everybody should be trying to do their little bit, again, which led up to a, 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 a whole will reduce impact i think the um the silver bullet as you say is end of life so i think that is society consumes a lot if that consumption and all those garments don't go into landfill or get shipped off to a country where it's hidden away from people that they don't want to look at if we know what to do with those garments at the end of their life and then can repurpose them and put them back into a, a kind of a cyclical system think that's the magic that's that's the solution and progress where we can up until that point yeah and there's a lot of people actively looking at it and everything we hear it will become eu legislation and probably californian law as well in the next couple of years um there's a lot of people looking at it and no one's really got the full the full solution yet but it's it's definitely the it's the next thing what to do with product at the end of its life and that's where we, we try and um, postpone the end of life of product by repairing it, washing it, patching it, repurposing it, reusing it. I suppose keeping that, keeping that long open loop over time until we can finally close it right at the end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Good. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Tim, thank you so much for, for geeking out with me um, on the podcast. It's been really nice to find some of the intricacies of what Material Facts will do. And um, and now I'll have on all my jackets uh, exactly where it's come from. Uh, so I know uh, that transparency is, is always good and always key. Uh, Tim Fish, uh, an award-winning product designer and product director now at uh, Equip Outdoor. Thank you so much. Thanks, you. Good to chat with you. Take care. Thank you.